So we're beginning a new series. Um, we're going to be doing this for a few weeks, like I say, and uh, we, we attempt most kind of September, early October perhaps, just to take the pulse on where we think we're at as a church. We perhaps visit the church's vision in years past and ask, you know, what is God saying to us now? What is he doing? And we're going to be doing that. We're going to be looking at some certain key areas. And I'm going to start today something that we're going to carry on next week. But before I get into that, as a way of kicking us off, I want to ask a couple of questions. The first song we sang, I, I can't remember what it was now, but it had that line, come have your way among us. Talking to God, come have your way among us. Really? Really? I'm sure many of us would say we want the presence of God among us. In fact, I, I don't know that there's many things more worth having, actually. We want that individually, corporately. But do we understand what this entails? The presence and favor of God with us. What does it mean to have the favor of God? To have God pleased with us? And here's the rub. Are we willing to make adjustments to our lives to win the favor of God? Now, I'm not talking there about earning your salvation. We do not earn our salvation. As we've prayed already, Mark's just prayed, we trust Christ's death on the cross for our salvation, for the cleansing of our sins, for being in right standing with God, being justified, being made righteous with him. We trust him. He is the be all and end all, the first and the last of our salvation. But as we continue the Christian life, as we walk with him, I believe, and I believe what I'm going to teach this morning and next week shows, we can win and lose his favor. He, he does withdraw his presence. We may still be in relationship with him. We may still be saved and have a saving relationship. I don't believe God takes his Holy Spirit out of us once we're saved. But in terms of the favor of God upon an individual or a church and the presence of God, the manifestation, the tangible presence of God with us, I believe can become more real and I believe he withdraws his presence. And I think we'll see this this morning. But I do want to say this. But the presence of God, the favor of God upon us is wholly worth pursuing. Wholly worth pursuing. And like I say, I'm not sure that anything else ultimately is more worth pursuing than knowing God with us. Knowing he's pleased with us. So we're starting this series, we're calling it Transforming Mission. We've seen this morning even how God sends his people even into all the world. He sends us locally, he sends us globally. 
to see transformation. I think it's a great motif for us being on a mission, being sent. That word mission is the Latin for sent, being sent by God to see transformation. We're not just killing time here. We're not just going round and round on the roundabout. We are here to see transformation in our own life, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, to see family histories change. How many of us have got a family history that has been transformed because of God? Feel free to put your hand up. Just to encourage me that you're vaguely listening. Okay. Two of us, only two of us. Three. Okay. We see family histories transform, communities, societies, towns, whole nations even. And at the heart of this transforming mission, and this is what we're going to look at for the next two weeks, is a transforming encounter with the living God. For there to be a transforming mission, to be a, tra a people that are sent on mission, there has to be at the heart of it in every one of our lives a transforming encounter. So let me ask us at the outset, do we believe we've had that? Do we believe we've known utter transformation in our lives? And that transformation can happen as we go along. It, it may not be, it won't be a, a once in a moment time. Some of us got saved like that. My, uh, this happened to me. And there was an absolutely Damascus Road turnabout. But since then, there's been continuing transformation. Not as much as I'd have liked, but it's happened. There's been something there. So we need this transforming encounter at the heart of our lives. And we're going to look for a couple of weeks at the stories of the Ark of the Covenant, particularly David bringing what's called the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And we're going to look at some of the lessons, what obstacles can we put in the way of God returning to his people? As I'm going to explain, the Ark of the Covenant, it, was, uh, it became associated with the presence of God. What obstacles can we put in the way of God coming back to his people and how can we facilitate this encounter? So what happened when David brought the Ark back to Jerusalem? Well, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, I think we've got a picture of what it may have looked like. Okay, just to note, there are poles there to carry it. That is significant for later in the story. So uh, this was a chest in which were various um, artifacts, uh, Aaron's rod, the tablets of stone uh, from Israel's history were kept in this ark. And it was, it was to be put in the, um, the temple, the center of the temple. It had been in the center of the tabernacle when the tribes of Israel had journeyed in the wilderness. And in Exodus 25, when uh, the ark is to be built, God says that above the cherubim, those angelic creatures at the top there, uh, in the midst of the cherubim, God says, there I will meet with you. God has a heart to meet with people. Almighty God has a heart to meet with people. In fact, Christianity is not much more than that. That God wants to meet with a people. Listen, folks, it's not turning up on a Sunday. It's great to have you all with us. 
It really is, and it's great, isn't it, to be together. I thought the worship lifted this morning because we're here together. But ultimately, it's not coming to church. It's not being about church. It's not trying to be a good person. I had a conversation recently with someone, and we got into, you know, Christianity isn't about just trying to be better and trying to live better. It's not a moral code. It's about an encounter, meeting with the living God who is other than us. I think this is the thing. We sometimes forget that our Christian lives, it feels, it feels like, it feels to me sometimes like I live life kind of according to a moral code and I'm trying to be a, a better person. I know the Christian teaching makes sense if I follow it, but it's more than that. It's about a God who, I don't know whether you've experienced this, has a mind of his own, has a mind of his own and a will of his own and best we line up with that rather than do it our way. So he wants to meet with us. He was placed at the center of the tribes in the tribes. And again, something like this, the, the holy place, the tabernacle was built there as the tribes were in the wilderness. The tribes were told where they were to set up. But they were set up around the tabernacle, which at the heart of it had the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, meaning the presence of God was right at the heart of his people. Let me just mark that. God. We need you right at the heart of what we're doing as a church. We need you to be right at the heart of this when we gather, but more than that, our own lives, our small groups, just everything. We need you to be at the heart of it, Lord. And like I say, the ark came to be associated with the presence of God among his people. It protected them. It brought them victory. Look at what Numbers 10 says. This is, uh, they, they build the ark and then it says this. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, Lord. So associated with God himself, the ark. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. So Israel was assured, they had this confidence that if God would be among them, they would know victory. His enemies would be scattered. Don't you want to see God go to work, his presence move in our lives, in our church, in our town, in our nation, to see his enemies scattered, powers and principalities quaking in fear as poverty is demolished, as abuse is brought into the light and healed, as men and women get right and are made whole. And David understood this. And he wanted the presence to return to the heart of national life again. This is what David does when he brings the ark back. David's time was a, a long time after the tribes of Israel in the wilderness. But we're going to follow the story of the ark. And we're looking at kind of 1 Samuel 4 onwards, 1 Chronicles 13 onwards. They're chapters worth reading, certainly over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to see the ark on a journey and that journey of the Ark of the Covenant, listen to this, is contingent, is shaped by the relationship of God with his people. The journey the Ark took, as we're going to see, is shaped by the relationship of God with his people. The nature of our relationship with God is very influential in terms of the measure of favour and anointing of authority on our lives. The extent to which we are working at our relationship with God will shape and influence 
the measure of favor we had. He will always love us. But there are some things we do, frankly, he cannot own. And his favor cannot be upon. Does anyone know that in their own life? There are just, you know, I, I have a hope that my life, the orientation of my life is, is kind of, Lord, I want to seek you, I want to serve you. But I know full well there are just moments. The way I treat Ali, the way I relate, have related to my children, just who I am sometimes, that God just can't own. And we need to work on that stuff. Because it shapes the measure of favor. Okay, let's crack on. So let me ask, do you believe it's possible to offend God? But, but God always loves me, surely. Well, yes. But like I say, he's not pleased with everything we do. And we can displease him. Ephesians 4.30 says this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who is God, the Holy Spirit in our lives, upon our lives. Don't grieve him. So therefore it's clear we can grieve him. If I can put it like this, the Holy Spirit, God is sensitive. He has feelings and, and it's possible to upset him and hurt him. Now, he's not needy. He's not fickle. He doesn't get stroppy and, you know, huffy like what well, I do anyway. But he can be grieved. We can hurt him. There's a lovely story. I think it's probably true just because of the source of it that I heard it from of, of missionaries to Israel. And they turn up in this house and they set up in this house and there's a dove in the eaves. And they like the presence of the dove. But one of the couples say to the other one day, have you noticed that when we start making a racket, when we start making a noise, when we start slamming doors, when we get angry, when we shout, the dove leaves. And one of them said to the other, I want us to adjust our behavior to accommodate the dove. And the Holy Spirit is like that. Well, are we willing to adjust our behavior to accommodate the dove? The Holy Spirit. The dove is a picture used in scripture of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at a few of these stories then of the journey of the Ark of the Covenant. Firstly, 1 Samuel chapter 4. There's a story there. The high priest is a guy called Eli. So this is after the time of the tribes in the wilderness. They've now settled in Canaan. And uh, Eli has two sons, Phinehas and Hophni. And the problem is these boys are uh, just a bit fleshly, following their own desires, sensual. They committed adultery with other women. They were disobedient. They wouldn't uh, take rebuke. But actually Eli, it says, didn't restrain them. And so God is displeased with his people as a whole, Israel as a whole, their track record at that time wasn't impressive. And the Philistines attack and capture the ark. And Phineas's wife at that time gives birth. And she gives birth to a boy. She dies in childhood. And it says this, 
before she died, she named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because of the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. The name Ichabod, it means no glory or glory gone, as Eugene Peterson puts it. No glory. A nation without the favor of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a no glory life. I'm not saying by that, you know, I want glory. We, we don't want that, but I want God's revelation of himself. I think there's something to be said for the glory of God equating to God going public. God going public. I will not give my glory to another. When God reveals himself, glory. And God was not revealing himself with glory in Israel at that time. Ichabod, no glory. I don't want to live a life that God can't own. But we don't want a church with no glory. God, keep us from that. Keep us attentive. Keep us praying. Keep us sensitive to your spirit. Lord, are there ways we're offending you? Lord, let us help us to work. Because here's the truth. I believe there are churches in this nation that sadly have Ichabod written over the door. I just don't know how else you can explain things. Churches where Christ is not allowed in, where there's human strength dictating things, where there's not a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, where there's not a sensitivity to sin, where sin is not confessed and owned. It's why I think many churches have closed or are closing. If the glory of God were there, that wouldn't be happening. And we have to be honest about this. God lets churches close. Is that a sign that he withdraws favor? I'm not judging those folks. I'm sure there are, you know, good people in there that actually are saved. But at the point, Christ does not feel at home among his people. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. And we need to be sensitive to this. I'm going to leave that reading in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. Or maybe we'll quickly put it up, but I'll just refer to it. At the end of it, there it says, a people who will have a form of godliness, but denying its power. We don't want our Christianity just to be cultural. We don't want it to just be religious, going through the motions. We have to know God is pleased with us. We don't want a form of godliness, a form of Christianity, but no power. <laughs> No glory. I don't know. I want my life changed. I just know there's enough junk in here that I need to deal with some stuff. Is anyone else on the same page as me? Come on, put your hands up. I know you. Don't fib. Okay? Well, we need the power of God. We need the glory. We need God to work to transform. It can't be us. We can't let it be down to us and human strength. Okay, let's crack on. So the ark is captured. We'll come back to see what happens. But let me just ask a question, a little interview, interlude. 
before I go on. Have you ever experienced true hospitality? Can you think now of, of people that have had you around for meals or have you gone to stay with who you just think, I, I'm really looking forward to going to stay with them. That would be really nice. Are there other people whose houses you go to that you think, you know, maybe it's family, you kind of got to go, and you just think, oh, oh. Obviously we do. Do we know what it is to be made at home, made to feel at home? I've had, had a trip down, it's, it's my brother actually, he's got a lovely house, but what goes with it is just this generosity, he's this kind of big character, he's fun, and he always gives us loads of meat, sorry, food, apologies to any veggies, okay? Nothing's too much to do. We're just lavished on. But I also do know, you know, what it is to go to places where maybe folks are house proud. Everything's in a place. They want it just so, their way. And you just feel awkward. You can't touch anything. It's too clean. Just by turning up, I'm going to make the place feel dirty. <laughs> I'm, just think, I'm just laughing at something. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'm just, gonna, I'm just laughing at an incident of going to someone. I will tell you without naming them. Um, going to someone's house and, and like after a meal just fancying something and I went to the cupboard I was sta we were staying went to the cupboard and they were just a, you know just they got things planned out so they couldn't quite roll with me just going to the cupboard and helping myself to peanut butter and looking rifling around for something to go on my toast or something anyway I don't know why I told you that but, anyway. <laughs> but you know just folks who just find it difficult to host we know the difference don't we you know the difference between true hospitality and people. I'm not saying it's wrong motives or anything. They just don't know how to show. It's not like generous, lavish hospitality. Well, God knows the difference too. God knows what it is to be made to feel at home. And let me tell you this as well. Unlike us, I'm sure we're really polite in that situation. Unlike us, God is not a good house guest if he comes and he's not happy, if he finds stuff that he's not pleased with, he's not the sort of house guest that just leaves politely, he will address the issue. He'll address the issue because he wants us to be more hospitable to him. And so the Philistines, 1 Samuel 5, capture the ark and they bring it and they put it in a... In, the temple, the home of a false god called Dagon. It says they put the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, alongside another god. Well, let me tell you, God wasn't happy. He doesn't like to be put alongside any god. And he proves himself not a very good house guest. It says, when the people of Ashdod, the Philistines, rose early the next day, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. It's just a great picture. They took Dagon and put him back in his place. But the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His head and hands were broken off and were lying on the threshold. Only his body remained. He was pretty armless. But 
You see, God's not happy to be alongside any God in the house of our lives. He's just not. He's just not. And he will cause a bit of a kerfuffle in the home of our lives, in our churches, to force the issue. And we can either adjust or he decides to leave. Ichabod. I have a sense when I was preparing this and reading through that some of us at this time, we are dealing with stuff in our lives and it's God tackling false gods in your life. And he's trying to bring them down so that they fall before him. And we can give that a bit of a hand, actually. We can give that false god a bit of a push. But he is going to take issue with it. And you can hang on to that false god, to that relationship, to that career dream, to that willfulness, just whatever it is, that thing we're pursuing that is not God's will. We can hang on to it. He will force the issue, but at some point, he may say, it's your call, but I'm out of here. I don't feel welcome. Let's move on to David. 1 Chronicles 13 then. And we're going to just read this. This is part of the story then of David bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. The Because of Dagon, the Philistines had to send the ark away. They just realized, we can't have this God here. He's got to go. The hand of God was heavy upon them, it says. And the ark arrives back in Israel, but not yet in Jerusalem. And it says, let us bring the ark, this is David, the ark of our God back to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. They moved the Ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guarding it, guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the Ark because the oxen stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah. And he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, breakout against Uzzah. And David was afraid of God that day and asked. And you just sense the utter despair in David's heart. How? How then? How? How do we bring your presence back? How can, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me if that's what's going to happen? It's very different, isn't it? To the God, I think, we see portrayed in many of our churches, in our teachings sometimes today. And there was a fatal flaw here. The three characters particularly mentioned, Saul, David, and Uzzah, three fat a fatal flaw in all three of their lives. And it was this. They were trying to have their faith their way. Our faith, our way. It's not what God wants. What happened with Saul? Well, look at verses 1 to 3 there. Well, verse 3 particularly, it says... 
Let's bring the ark back because we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. When I was preparing this and looking at the Ark of the Covenant, I, I got, okay, so the Ark comes back from the Philistines, it lands in Israel, and then I think, well, Saul's the king there. And I tried to think, what stories are there of Saul and the Ark? I could think of some. Samuel ministered before the Ark in the presence, David, obviously, and various others. But I couldn't think of any story of Saul and the Ark. So I searched in the concordance, Saul and Ark. This is the only reference to Saul and the ark, and it's saying Saul didn't inquire of the ark. Saul, one of the kings of Israel, didn't inquire of God. Folks, if you know the life of Saul, that explains a lot right there, doesn't it? Saul, a life, tragic, so much going for it, potential, big guy, head and shoulders, made king, anointed, starts off so well, slips into his own willfulness, sinful desires. And obviously never went, another translation, he neglected the ark. He neglects the presence. He's not seeking God. And his life was fruitless. So it raises a question for us, doesn't it? Folks, are we really, really inquiring of God? Or are we living life according to what we think God wants? And this is this Christian culture. We could be doing good things, but not be inquiring of God. Let's move on. David. Now, David was a man after God's heart, but he got this wrong. You see, he returns the ark in his own strength. He puts it on a cart. That's not how you do it. If you remember the picture of the Ark of the Covenant and the poles, it was meant to be carried by the Levites. And he strikes up a band. You see, there's a lot of passion here. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of energy in the story. The symbols were going. You know, there's passion. There's music. And one commentator says, so loud, so religious. Well, in many ways, would that churches were loud, even out of their own passion. But it was human passion on the part of David. There was a prescribed way to return the ark, to facilitate encounter with God, and this wasn't it. Next week, we're going to look at, well, what did David have to do to get that right? But I want to finish just looking at these three guys, looking at Uzzah. It's a difficult story, isn't it? And I'm sure many of us have got a lot of sympathy with him. I mean, all the guy did was the the cart stumbled. He reaches out his hand to try and stop it falling. And he falls down dead. As Ralph Davis says, this God is not very marketable. It's one of the indications... I don't think the Bible's made up because you wouldn't make up a God who does this. And it forces us to wrestle with whether we will have God on his own terms. Will we have him as the God who is as he is? I am that I am. You see, he doesn't justify himself in this passage. He doesn't unpack it and explain it. Well, why did this happen? There's, there's some explanation. 
Numbers 4.15, Israel had been told, no one is to touch the holy things or you will die. But even that, it's like, it, does that explain it? It, it? it kind of gives something. And what we're dealing with here is a holy God and sinful men and women like you and I. Folks, we're going to sing a song in a minute. Consuming fire. Scriptures, one of the descriptions, it has many descriptions for God, but one of them is he's a consuming fire. Folks, we are all lucky to be alive given that we are sinful. It's only God's mercy and the blood of Jesus that we're alive at all. He is a consuming fire. He cannot stand sin. He has to be holy. And he consumes sinfulness. Thank God my sin, your sin if you're a believer, was taken on the cross and paid for there. So Uzzah. finish. In 1994, um, a gentleman called R.T. Kendall, who um, I had the privilege of serving with down at a church in London, uh, not in 1994, we came in 1997, but he set up a prayer covenant in the church. And there were five petitions. He encouraged the church to pray regularly. And one of them was this. We can put that, James. He said, we pray for the manifestation of the glory of God in our midst. Now, I'm guessing most of us kind of so far so good. If we really know who God is and our need, along with an ever-increasing openness in us to the manner in which he chooses to turn up. You see, we have to have God on his own terms. And if you know anything about church history, you know God manifests himself in history. He's turned up. His favor has been upon his people. He's really gone to work. It may be what we call revival. Has looked very different. In 1904-05, the Welsh revival, it was singing that people called Welsh emotionalism. Those of us that were around in the 90s, I happen to believe that the, the move of the spirit that came out of Toronto Airport Church was fundamentally at heart a move of God. It did wonderful things in my life, restored the father heart to the church, I think. But there was laughter, <laughs> stories of gold teeth. Anyone heard those stories? Just to let you know, I believe we saw, Ali and I went to Toronto, we saw someone given gold teeth. Are you serious? What? I can only say what I saw. But does God offend? Somebody said God sometimes offends the mind to reveal the heart. Artie Kendall calls that, when God does that, the yuck factor. The yuck factor. When God does something by his spirit that makes us go, Ugh, are you, what? That's ridiculous. An ever-increasing openness to us. RT himself had to climb down on the Toronto blessing, didn't believe it was of God. Something happened to a friend of his that was utter testimony of God at work, and he had to climb down on it. So 
So there are difficult things about God. Unpalatable aspects. But folks, we need him, don't we? Fundamentally, don't we need him? However he chooses, on his own terms. I've heard people say the wrath of God, I, don't, I, can't, I can't handle the, I don't believe the wrath of God. I don't believe God's wrathful. Well, read church history. Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s in America preaches a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And people are holding on to the pews for fear of falling into hell. But God's mercy is shown to them. God shows them, I can deal with that sin though. My son took that sin upon the cross. And that's why we're to proclaim Christ. Individually, we need this. We need it for our healing to overcome, just to keep going. We need God on his terms. In our family life, let me tell you, if you're a parent here, it's the glory of God, the favor of God, is going to be the only thing that keeps your children in a society that is losing its anchor. And our society needs it. You know the song, Great is the Darkness, watching while sanity dies. Don't you look at society, aspects of society, and think, it's gone mad. I don't, I don't get this. Never mind millions going to a lost eternity and the church barely making a dent. Let's be honest. We are not seeing huge numbers coming to faith. Is part of it that we have not accepted God on his own terms, that we're doing elements of mission in our way. It has to be God's way. I'm going to invite the band back up. And just, can we leave that, those words up there for now, James? You see, I want to encourage us to whether we pray those words or whether we put it in our own words, but just to think about a few areas of our lives, our own life. Do you want the manifestation of the glory of God over your life? And are you willing then to have an ever-increasing openness to the manner in which he chooses up to turn up in your life? What about the life of your family? Some of you are parents. Some of you have a desire to have a family. Some of you are grandparents. What about praying that prayer over your family? Lord, I commit my family to you. You as parents have authority over your family. I pray that you would reveal your glory in my family. But Lord, help us to be open to however you want to choose us choose to turn up and what about this church will we truly be open to God showing up however he chooses even if it means longer worship some of us are going great some of us are going oh flip it man <laughs> what about longer sermons you know God has usually God has usually owned preaching in revival usually what about church becoming louder come on 
You'll be all right, Lee. What about it becoming silent? Might be, Lee. It's not your call, mate, I'm afraid. <laughs> if the big man wants it, then the big man wants it. What about people coming in who we wouldn't choose? C.S. Lewis says, God is always saving people I don't particularly like <laughs> in ways I don't particularly care for. What about if he were to send us out and make us feel uncomfortable about owning Christ and telling people about Jesus? What about that's what he wants? I have a petition in this, and if this isn't the Lord's way, that's fine. My petition is this. I pray that one of the ways he shows up is an authority on the gospel, that men and women get saved, whatever else happens. Whether or not we've got the coolest worship band, and this morning we have, or whether we've got, you know, the best preaching or best life groups or whatever, I would ask, Lord, let there be an anointing on the gospel that men and women come face to face with who Jesus is and get saved. Like, and I'm not just talking about, you know, they come to church and they like church. I'm talking about they know Jesus and they just can't shut up about Jesus. Unlike, I used to be like that. When I first got saved, some of you did, didn't you? We used to be like that. What happened? I don't know. Let's stand. So as we sing this song, consuming fire, Lord, have your way. Why don't, don't feel you have to sing the song. Feel free to pray. Just ask God to come and have his way in your life. If you're at home, I encourage you, if you're sat with a family, particularly your parents with young children, why don't you stand and just commit as parents. Listen, you've got authority over your family. Whether you take it or not is another matter, but that's God's plan. Why don't you just commit your family as, you know, stand, hold hands. Ask, you know, if your children are teenagers, ask if they feel comfortable just standing. Honor them. But why don't you commit to the Lord now and say, Lord, manifest your glory in our family and have your way. And may we be open to you turning up however you choose. Let's sing this and pray that kind of prayer together.